Give me a squirt of lotion. I'm Grace. I'm Bridget. Welcome to the Gossier, where we talk all things gossip in all aspects of our lives. That's right. We're not just doing cheap celebrity gossip, baby. We got politics. We got L.A. We got family stuff. It gets up close and personal every week. (laughs) Every week. And of course, we want you to share your gossip with us as well. Yeah, if you've got some gossip you want to share and you want us to talk about it, unpack it, let us know if you are too mean about a person in your life. Shoot us an email. If you don't want to mention names, but you want it to be known what kind of bullshit you're dealing with and you want us to talk about it, I don't see why not. We'll come up with fake names. Oh, yeah, we're good at that. We're improvisers. Yeah, I'll just read your email and I'll improvise about it for an hour and a half. Yeah. That's what you can expect on this podcast. That's what you can expect. This is our first episode. Yeah, welcome to our first episode. It's very exciting to have an episode about gossip since this is what we do all the time anyway. So I'm glad to have a microphone in front of my face. Yeah, now you have to commit. That's so funny because this is not the first time we've recorded a conversation between us and mm-hmm. I had to listen <laughs> to see what kind of gossip I was spouting before I shared it with other people. Yeah, I have to be mindful of how I gossip. But I will say, I remember there was a time in high school where I maybe it was college where I felt like I was gossiping too much. And I was like, okay, my New Year's resolution is I'm not going to say anything behind someone's back that I wouldn't say to their face. Yes, I think that is like the most important rule of gossip because I I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. I think I just still have that tinge of like Catholic guilt of like, wait, what did you say? (laughs) Well, I want to know that like if someone comes up to me and says, I heard you said such and such about me that I could be like, yes, I said that. And here was the context for it. Yes. You know, even if it's a little mean, I could be like, well, I thought you were being selfish at that time. So, yes, I did say that. You're not I don't want anyone catching me in a gotcha. I've, I've also taken that a step farther where I don't ask people questions that I don't want them to ask me. Oh, that's a good that's a good rule of thumb. So like even when I was dating, because right now I have a partner, as you know, I wouldn't ask like guys questions <laughs> if I thought they were going to ask me <laughs> the same question back. Oh, yeah. No, that's a great that's a great way to live your life. And then that's great, because then if someone finds out that information and then you're like, well, I didn't know what you were doing. Exactly. It's fair. <laughs> exactly. You got to be careful. But you know what? Gossip is a part of life. It's fair game. Everybody knows that everyone's gossiping about everyone else. Okay. So like, oh, you know what I love? I was recently, I must've been talking about this podcast, but (laughs) someone was like trying to differentiate gossip. Like, well, it's not gossip if you would say it from their face or it's not gossip. Like trying to say that gossip is this bubble of it's only gossip if it's harmful or demeaning which mm. to be honest, that's not really true because yeah, especially in our society now, you could make anything offensive and the reverse. You can twist something to be like a positive. Otherwise, QAnon wouldn't exist. That's true. Yeah, I do think that's important. I think gossip has this very negative connotation that people think that you know, gossip is always like negative. But I just as often talk something good behind someone's back. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, did you hear so-and-so was really great in this show? Yeah, that's 
that's gossip. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's just, you know, we all expect gossip to have this stigma. We all talk about each other because that's all we have to talk about. That's what we share. That's what we put in common. Gossip is actually very highbrow if you think about it. Yeah, it shows what your standards for your own life are. And it doesn't mean that everyone has to agree with your gossip or have the same interpretation. If anything, the way you gossip reveals more about you than it does about the people living it. Exactly. And I'm happy to be revealed by what I gossip about. That's fine. Judge me based on that. Are you a Leo? No, I'm a Sagittarius. I think I have like a, was it a Leo rising? So I think there might be Leo somewhere in my chart. I think this is my hot Zodiac take. I think that Leos have this reputation for being like center of attention, whatever, whatever. And Sagittarius are pretty much the same, but they don't have like a negative appearance to the outside world. So I'm happy to be a Sagittarius because Leos get all this hate for having kind of the same traits that Sagittarius do. Do you think Leos have more bravado? Maybe. Maybe. I'm dating a Leo. So if I don't say, wow, you did a great job cleaning the kitchen (laughs) the one time you do it during the week, um, it becomes a household conversation. (laughs) Interesting. One of my best friends is Leo. And I guess bravado is a good word for her. I think my read of Sagittarius is that we're much more confident in what we bring to the table. And so we don't have to maybe express it as much as a Leo does, you know? Yeah. Like a Leo is like, oh yeah, I'm the life of the party. So they have to kind of perform that. Whereas a Sagittarius is like, I don't have to perform. I'm just fun. <laughs> like I, I'm not putting a show on for you today. This is just me being me. I would be Believe dancing it. on this countertop if I was home alone. Believe it becomes true. Yeah, exactly. That's again, since I'm a Sagittarius, of course I'm biased because I'm like, I'm the most fun person. So I, no way can Leo's be fun because I'm not a Leo. <laughs> it's just logic. Just astrological logic. Exactly. Should we introduce our first segment of our first podcast? I would love to. So this is our first segment, which is called You Have to Tell Me. And this is where we kind of get to talk about whatever gossip we are knowledgeable about individually. Because we bring to the table very different knowledges and life experiences. So first and foremost, Bridget, you have to tell me about how you're hosting a baby shower. Well, I have a good friend in Chicago and she had a quarantine baby. (gasps) Oh my God. Like conceived, carried and birthed in quarantine? About to be birthed. (gasps) Oh yeah. Baby showers are before birth. I never know when a baby shower is. Well, I think you can have them post-birth, too. I guess you can. But I think most people have it before birth, like it is in yeah, preparation. Like, well, they're still pregnant, and they get to have, like, a cute little maternity dress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's funny about it is I've never even been to a baby shower. So who chose? Why'd they choose you to host it? I chose, <laughs> I chose myself. Why'd you do that? Well, here's the goss. Okay. Um, so the mother-in-law was like originally saying she would host it okay and that seems logical right perfect person to do it they may have money to do it you know but then she last minute decided it's family only and so of course we're like on a group thread where it's like 
family only. Sorry, guys, we'll figure something out. And then me being the Capricorn of the group was like, we need to host it. Sure. So me and that thread of women are now hosting a very, very small Zoom baby shower. That's fun. What's the theme? Also funny. It's Hawaiian themed because, okay, so I've never been to a baby shower. I'm volunteering us thinking like out of, it's like four women on this group thread, not including the the mother. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, surely one of us knows how this thing works. So I was like, don't you worry. We got you covered. We're going to host this for you. And it turns out like no one has any experience with baby showers in my friend group. I kind of love that. I mean, I guess it's not something that everyone runs into. We're kind of varying ages between like, oh boy, uh, somewhere between 27 and 35. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us have been mostly single and pretty wild party girls. So, so no one's having a baby. No one's having a baby. This is the first baby of this friend group. That makes sense. I mean, that tracks. It's been quite the adventure. And trying to Google baby shower during quarantine is very depressing and very like, like I already thought baby showers were pretty hokey. And like doing this research, I was like, oh my God, this is even worse because you're trying to like figure out how to play a game over Zoom. Yeah. And we found this company that what they actually sell are like nap, nap sacks. Like, okay. You put your child in this sack and you zip them up and you say, good night. And I think in order to sort of create like promotion for them, they created these like quarantine virtual baby showers. Sure. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So they sell these kits and of course they're weird baby knapsacks included, but they will like send like stuff for everybody to print off in their individual homes to have and to wear. That's and, cute. Like, drink cards and game cards. It's like still pretty hokey, but all the essentials are taken care of for you in this packaging. So their theme is like Hawaiian. So it was just like that. I guess that's the theme of this. Baby luau. Hour. Baby luau. <laughs> Little baby luau. That's a good theme. You can't go wrong with a Hawaiian theme. Yeah. We'll be drinking like these tiki-esque drinks. And yeah. You can a- have a Mai Tai. Yeah. You know what I would do? Well, I would need to have a baby to do this. So this. Okay. So now I'm like, I'm already now I'm planning my next baby shower. And which would also be my first because I haven't been to a baby shower because I'm also a party girl. I would wait until I have my baby. So I've got my baby out. It's fresh. Oh, so you're doing post birth baby shower. Not necessarily, but for this specific reason, now I'm thinking about it. Oh, so you might be renting a kid for someone's baby shower. I guess I could do this with a doll because it might be a little unethical to do it to my actual baby. (laughs) If it's Hawaiian theme, I would do like, you know how at Luau's they'll have like a pig with an apple in its mouth. I want the centerpiece to be a baby with an apple in its mouth, not edible. Oh, I, I guess think that's a great idea. I think you could I make, should tell the girls. I feel like I should text them. You could make a little cake that looks like a pig and has an apple in its mouth. No, you'd make a cake with a baby with an apple in its mouth. Yeah. I mean, you might as well lean into the baby thing. I guess it is a little unethical for me to use a real baby for that. So I guess a doll would be better. But like imagine going and buying like a cabbage patch kid. And then just stripping it and putting an apple in its mouth. And that's the centerpiece. I say go a step further. Get like one of those baby newborns. 
or like one of the new newborn CPR dummies. Okay, you have to tell me. I think I already know a little bit about this, but I definitely want to hear your hot take. What is the Bachelor finale and Bachelorette twist? Okay, so this whole season of The Bachelor has been a shit show. They basically cast this guy, Matt James. He was the friend of someone who finished in second on another season. And he was going to be on the most recent season of The Bachelorette, but they cut him from it to make him The Bachelor, which is unheard of for the franchise. They usually make, you know, they pick someone from a previous season who we already know, who they know how they're going to respond to producers and whatnot. So they picked this guy. He's the first Black Bachelor. And they picked him primarily because they wanted a Black Bachelor because by the time they were picking The Bachelor, it was the time when the protests were at the height. At the time that Matt James was chosen, the last time they had a black lead was Rachel Lindsay and they cast like a known racist on her show to provide drama, like as one of the guys she was dating and the lead can't just send anyone home that they want. So when the Bachelor casting directors get to work, they obviously want to create a cast that will create the most drama. But because the Bachelor producers casting people are all white, it's easy for them to see like race relations as drama for TV and not like a serious issue to discuss. And The Bachelor is bad at serious discussions. They are categorically awful at it. They always have been. A winner a couple seasons ago came under fire for liking a bunch of like conservative memes about how the Parkland kids were actors. And he had to give like an apology on after the final rose, but they didn't really address it too much because they just don't know how to do that. I think they are trying to evolve and trying to like be part of social conversations, but they're just awful at it because it's like all white people who work for the show. So anyway, Matt James was The Bachelor. And usually when you watch The Bachelor, you can tell like who the front runners are all season long. It was pretty clear from the jump that he was most into this girl, Rachel, who was white. And as it went through, you know, he was clearly more into her and more and more things started coming out that she was liking QAnon posts. She was posting photos with Trump flags and Confederate flags. And the biggest thing was she went to an antebellum party in 2018. Now, that's all stuff that came out not on the show. Yes. But like in in the real world, while watchers are watching this, they're doxing her while Mm -hmm. the program's on. Yeah, while the show is airing, this is all coming out. They're not talking about it on the show. Yeah, that's a great point. They filmed this ahead of time and they started doing something to like combat this. ABC will post pictures of the contestants or like ABC has been doing this new thing where before a season, they'll post like pictures of like 40 contestants, which is more than they have on the show. And they post it on Facebook and then people will like come in and be like, this guy DM'd me and he's awful and they'll cut him from the show. So they're kind of trying a little bit, but obviously they're not trying that hard if they can't find something that a casual viewer can find on Instagram. Yeah, it seems like a very terrible to crowdsource your background check. Exactly. And you, we know they have the resources for it. They're just yeah, choosing it's not Disney. to. It's Disney. And so that's the thing is like, if you wanted to evolve, you could. You're choosing not to at this point. Chris Harrison goes on extra. He basically defends the girl is like, there's nothing wrong with antebellum parties. And he talks about it to Rachel Lindsay, who was the first black bachelorette. And she said to Chris, so Chris, if I went to that party, what would my role be? And he said, it's a sorority party. It's just for fun. So he came under fire for that. He had to step away from the hosting of the show. 
all the while, Rachel on the show, the girl who all these things are coming out about, she hasn't said anything. Then on February 11th, she makes a statement that's basically like, you know, your canned apology, you know, I didn't know I was ignorant. It hurt people. There's no excuse. I am stepping back. I'm listening. I'm learning, blah, blah, blah. And all the while, you know, Matt, the bachelor can't say anything about his relationships, about who he's chosen, but he posted something right after Rachel's statement that was like, I'm learning about these things in real time. So at the time, everyone's theory was, okay, he chose Rachel and they broke up. So we see the rest of the season play out. He's got so many amazing women and he keeps getting rid of them for Rachel. And in the end, he does choose her. He doesn't get engaged to her, but he's like, we're going to leave dating. We're going to leave a couple. They seem very happy. But that's pretty wild, too, because don't most people get the engagement for, if anything, the post-Bachelor airing payout? Like, Mm -hmm. do you kind of get, like, if you stay engaged for a certain amount of time, you get that ring? Yeah. And they they encourage you to endorse stuff. Yeah. I mean, they encourage an engagement because obviously the bachelor is known for the couples break up really fast. So the more successful couples they have, the better. But in recent years, they've kind of been trying to like step back from the narrative that they force anyone into anything. They've come under fire for being emotionally manipulative to the cast, which it's a reality TV show. Of course they are. You signed up for it, but whatever. Who am I? They basically bring everyone out to have this conversation about her racist actions. Her most iconic moment is she said, you know, I could give you a list of all the books I've read, of all this, all that. I'm just learning. And I'm like, give us a list then, Rachel. If you've read so many books, give us a list. So Matt comes out and he's like, yeah, we did break up because, you know, she clearly just has no idea why that was wrong. She didn't even think about it. And she cries the whole time. So now she said, like, I don't want to play the victim. But obviously she was crying and she was like, Matt's still the love of my life. I wish he would forgive me. So she comes off as the victim. And then what is she crying on? Is this like an interview? Is this like, oh, yeah, the catch up episode where we see where everybody's at? Yeah. So after the finale, there's this thing called after the final rose, which is where we catch up with everyone after in present day which is not hosted by Chris Harrison. It's hosted by Emmanuel Ocho, who wrote Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, who was fantastic. But basically, Rachel's crying. She's like, you know, he's still the love of my life. And Matt's like, I'm not going to feel responsible for your tears right now. And then Rachel's mom started a Facebook group called We Love Rachel Kurt Connell. And all these people just posted racist stuff about Matt into it. And then they had to change the name of the account to We Love Dogs because everyone was shutting them down. (laughs) So these people are crazy. Oh, my God. But there is a silver lining. Usually after The Bachelor, we have one bachelorette chosen from his season of girls. Like I said, there are so many great girls this season, and he picked the one awful one. But because of that, we're having two bachelorettes in the next year. One is Michelle who was his second place finisher. She's a teacher. She's beautiful. She's stunning. She didn't have an Instagram until she got on the show. And now she barely even posts on it. It's simply iconic. And then the other one is this girl, Katie, who in her entrance meeting Matt brought a vibrator. So she's a sex positive icon. They're going to be two incredible bachelorettes. 
So it is a silver lining. And Chris Harrison isn't going to be there next season. I assume ABC is going to put him back because they don't really care about racism as they've proven time and time again. But it's going to be nice to have a break. I thought he was Chris fired. Harrison. He said that he was stepping back and they kind of made it seem like he was fired. But I think what they're going to do is just kind of give some distance for a while and then just quietly bring him back once they feel like it's quieted down. I think they're just going to have him on as a he's just going to remain a producer and he never has to come back. That's optimistic. But I I thought he was fired, fired. I don't I think that's kind of what they wanted to make it seem like, but they want to keep the door open because obviously the core audience of The Bachelorette and The Bachelor is middle America white people who are all like cancel culture has gone too far. Not Chris Harrison. It's like Chris Harrison's not even that good of a host. Yeah, he's just like a boring white guy that does like boring recaps. Right. And then occasionally acts like the middleman when things get too fiery. Yeah, he barely even does that. He's no Jeff Probst. I'll tell you that. Who's Jeff Probst? Oh, the host Survivor. of Survivor. Now that's a host. Well, he might also be problematic. I do worry about him. Survive long enough for us to know. I mean, we'll see. He's only ever dated. Jeff Probst has only ever dated one female contestant from the show. So that bodes well. How many has uh, Chris dated from Bachelor Nation? I guess none. Okay, Bridget, you have to tell me about how Prince Philip went home from the hospital. So... Prince Philip, you know, classic old Prince Philip. Oh, I know him well. Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> he went home last Tuesday to Windsor Camp- Castle. Went home last Tuesday to Windsor Castle. Windsor. I don't know why when I say Windsor. It's <laughs> weird to me. Maybe I said an accent. Uh, went home to <laughs> Windsor Castle after a month-long stay at the hospital. He entered King Edward's VII's Hospital on February 16th. Um, as you probably know, he is 99 years old. 99 years young. 99 years young. Yes. No, he's 99 years old. He is old. Have you seen those pictures? He looks like he's a dead body. They're propping up. It's weekend at Bernie's. Oh, seriously. At first, I was wondering, is this terrible to talk about an old man this way? But then when you think about the power of the British monarchy, you're not talking about like just an old man. You're talking about mm-hmm. people who have propagated poor ideas and have suppressed groups of people for centuries. So mm-hmm. I think it's okay that we talk about how terrible he looks. Yeah, exactly. Look, we're not saying he's a bad person because he looks like a corpse. He's a bad person who happens to look like a corpse. Exactly. It's not about his looks, but his looks are worth being made fun of. I just do think how he is alive he's cut some deals there's something Probably he's part got. cyborg yeah there's something that he knows about that we don't know about like he's got like alien tissue in his heart or something yeah he has I mean, access to some kind of medical marvel that the general population doesn't even know exists that's my Prince theory andrew his eldest son was like best friends with epstein yeah there's something going on in that family I mean, pedophilia and um, oh, there's cyborg hearts. There is a lot under the surface, I'm sure. Oh, I mean, I know the British monarchy has found a way to like harvest the blood of children or something, you know, and use it for their advantage. It's the British monarchy. 
Yeah, show us the basements. I, I'm just saying their castles have been there for a while and we know they're not known for their like, they're not known for their stellar history of human rights. Let's say that. Let's just say that. <laughs> and to put it mildly. So I think something's up with Prince Philip. Well, he knows. I think maybe he's been to death's door before. He's got the look in his eyes of a man who has seen the gates of hell. He might be living the gates of hell. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's in the waiting room. He's got one foot on earth and one foot in the waiting room of hell. No wonder he looks terrified. I think if you look like that and you're over the age of 80, you should forcibly be retired. Like from life? Yeah. Stop doing interviews. Stop being a like point person. Like what does Prince Philip say? Who cares? He's living in a different century than the rest of us. Well, and why does he want to be anything anymore? Listen, once I hit I mean, I'm lucky if I get to 65 without giving up. Like, I'm retiring as soon as I can retire. If I was in the monarchy, I would have like 10 good years. You'll never hear from me again. There's no point to be talking to the media when I'm that old, okay? Yeah, it's very it's very bizarre, all these old people. Aren't you done working? Yeah. Don't you want, like, don't you want some years off? Take a load off. Go to the beach, Philip. Get a tan. Get some vitamin D. It's all he needs, honestly, is some sun. What benefit is it to these people? I mean, all I could think of is that they're sitting ducks for like the lobbyists and the the people who are making the real calls, which are billionaires. Mm -hmm. And as long as like obedient Philip is a person, a point person to go to, those people are protected, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So it's like, just let him go. You know, you still have Elizabeth. You still have Prince Charles. I mean, he's pretty, yeah, I mean, he, he seems obedient. And so does Prince William. I mean, everyone who's in the family at this point seems like they're just willing to go with it. Yeah. So let him, can we just let him die or retire or like go on vacation? Whatever he wants to do. I mean, I'm not saying he has to die, but he may want to. He may want to. And he may want to be freed from this earthly realm. I'm not going to judge him for that. At, at the very least, I mean, and I guess if he wants to work still, he can work. I just don't know why he would want to. I'm just saying when I hit 60, I will never have another job again if I can help it. Of course, will I hit 60 with climate change? We'll see. We'll see. Well, it's also strange. This idea, this like obsession with work. It's like, mm hmm. It's very made up, this obsession with people who, like I was watching a union doc or it was a documentary about a car glass making company that was trying to unionize. And the workers who didn't want a union were saying stuff like, oh, that's just going to make it harder to get rid of people who are lazy. And I thought, who cares? It's not your car company. Yeah. You don't make your salary based on how many cars get made a day. Yeah. That's exactly what they want us to do. They all want us to villainize our peers instead of the people who we work for. It's easier to villainize people that you feel like are not pulling their weight versus the people who are really making all the money. <laughs> like mm -hmm. That's who you should be mad at. Yeah. You should be upset that you're making minimum wage doing a very dangerous job. Mm -hmm. That's where the focus needs to be. People, please. Yeah. Don't worry about your coworkers who aren't working as hard as you. Grace, you have to tell me about the Oscar noms. All right. Well, the Oscar noms are out, everyone. It's that time of year. I 
Was there an Oscars last year? Yes. I, I always so. forget if there was or not. Yeah, there's always been Oscars. If there wasn't Oscars, that's like you would remember. There was oh, no I think, Oscars. well, I was just thinking because of COVID, but it was right before because it's usually in February. Um, it's all coming back. Anyway, first <laughs> of all, it was announced by Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra, which is absolutely hysterical to me because those people are not getting Oscars. And that's okay. That doesn't make them invalid. But isn't that like what they usually do is have like, Somebody who's definitely not getting an Oscar announced yeah. Oscar nominations. Yeah. Although I think actually Priyanka might have been nominated for producing something. But I just think it's interesting to have a couple do it like a like a married couple. I guess, you know, they're quarantined together. Maybe. Yeah. But, maybe it was unavoidable. Like, I guess like they're so. together anyways. So. so we might as well bring them both in. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's exciting because. It's a little more diverse than Oscars have been in the past. Of course, you know, they set a bar literally on the ground. So but there are two women nominated for Best Director, which, which is great. Is the first time in 93 years. Yeah. And the first ever Asian Best Actor nominee in Steven Yeun. Oh, I didn't know that. And Riz Ahmed also. So it is. I think it's going to be a great year. This is what fascinates me about this year is for the past few years, you know, everyone's been lamenting like streaming's taking over. No one's going to go to a theater ever again. Well, no one has gone to a theater this year. So you see the kinds of things that get nominated because I love going to the movie theater when it's a normal year. I see as many Oscar movies in the theater as I can right now. Like I haven't seen any of these movies. Oh, really? And I, I, it's mostly because, you know, it's quarantine. I'm watching some lighter fare than an Oscar movie. That's fair. So I'm probably going to have to start my studying. But something like Mank. Would Mank ever have stood a chance if oh, every movie I, came I out? I think so, just because of the director. David Fincher, sure. Yeah, David Fincher. I, sure. so I did my research this year, mostly out of desperation for good things mm-hmm. to watch, because I feel like we've watched... Everything. Everything. Yeah. So a couple of months ago, I started Googling like what was likely to be nominated. Of course. So I already had, I've actually seen almost everything except for, I think, two movies on that list. One of them is The Father. Oh, yeah. That one's kind of one of those ones that came out of nowhere. Yeah. But it's been on the list. So I'm thinking everyone involved is, uh, kind of Oscar alum yeah it is kind of yeah it is kind of a there's no surprises on here you know like yeah because it's been such an insular year they're not giving it to anything that is unexpected yeah there's no box office numbers to compete with and that's true the streaming analytics are only what's known by what's released from these streaming companies so Mm -hmm. there's you know those are always in question too about the accuracy so i think it it really shows i think it almost more shows like who's really pulling the strings when you see how random these movies seem Mm -hmm. they definitely seem random but then watching them i was like oh these are actually (laughs) These are good movies after watching almost everything that has been released in the past year out of like, like I've really gone out of my wheelhouse because of time, Mm -hmm. too much time available. 
Interesting. And watching these movies, it was like, oh, these are these are like what good movies <laughs> should be. Like, so what's your pick to win Best Picture then? Do you have I a would pick right now. I would like Minari, but I I think mm-hmm. it might be Nomad Nomadland. That's fair. But Minari, he has everything. It's adorable. You've got some religious zealots. You got some weird southern stuff. You got your diversity. It hits it hits all the the tropes that Americans love. I feel like that's good to know. I do have to start watching. I have to start going down the list. I'm excited to watch Promising Young Woman and Sound of Metal. Oh, Promising Young Woman is probably like probably my favorite on the list, but I also feel like it's too ugh, women, gross. Not that I feel that way, but, but the voters will feel that way. Yeah. Oh, I totally think so. Yeah, I can tell you right now, I will not watch Mank. And I like David Fincher. Yeah, Mank just- is like the Roma or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where it's yeah. very niche to the, it's a story that's personal to the director that if you're outside of Hollywood, it's not interesting. If you're into that Hollywood history shit, it's actually, I think, because it's about good. Citizen Kane, right? Yeah, about making it. Yeah. Sure. Citizen Kane is Citizen Kane. I mean, it is what it is. I took a film seminar. <laughs> I know it. I get it. Rosebud, whatever. Okay. But it's also to- really beautiful. Sure. I like Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, and she's She's great. She's actually, I was um, frankly very, very surprised. She's one of those actresses that I think, I've always loved Amanda Seyfried. And I think people often think she's not very good in things. I think her stock was really hurt by being in Les Miserables, which I honestly didn't think she was that bad in, but whatever. And I'm glad she's getting her due. I love her. Yeah, she's but I understand been in why people don't like time. her. Yeah, yeah, I understand why people are often underwhelmed by her, but I think she knows exactly what she does and she does it well. I mean, I I typically agree. I think my favorite role is going to be Mean Girls. <laughs> I mean, she's great in Mean Girls, but um, you see her chops in this. Like, good. I mean, you've seen her in like she's been in some thrillers where. Oh yeah, she's the murderer. Someone's chasing her. She, I think she's done both. She like, has. She's she she's played some like what do we call them cheap roles. But well, yeah, this you I, see her like do a whole accent and you're like, what? Yeah, I think sometimes she gets pigeonholed into the romantic comedy thing because of Mamma Mia and she does it well. So no one's complaining. And how would she turn down a paycheck? But I do money. think. Yeah. And because she's pretty and blonde. So like. And There's always going to be a market for her in a romantic comedy. You get to work with Cher. Oh, God, I would love it. I would love it. She's great. She's great. I'm yeah. proud of her. That's that's my point. I'm proud of Amanda Seyfried. It should be a T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> it'll say I'm proud of Amanda Seyfried on the front and the Gossier on the back. Oh, there it's you our go. first merch drop. That's our first merch drop. <laughs> You've heard it here. <laughs> be on the lookout. Okay, so you have to tell me all about Cuomo. Oh my god so most of this most people probably know but i think it broke today uh one of the little details i got here so 
Cuomo, we all know him as New York's governor. Mm -hmm. At least six women have stepped forward to say they were sexually harassed by him. Mm -hmm. Biden's come out and he's calling for Cuomo to resign, especially if the allegations of sexual harassment are true. He also added that if the investigation, because they're trying to do an investigation right now, of it shows that he is that there was some sort of harassment that he'll probably be investigated or investigated. He is being investigated. He mm-hmm. will be prosecuted. Wow. So since coming out, more women have been coming forward. He's also, mm-hmm. what kind of sucks too, is the sexual harassment thing is almost taking the the heat off the other investigation going on, which is he and his aides lied about how many nursing home COVID deaths there were. Oh, right. They left out the number of people who were died after um, being transferred to hospitals. It's like he has these competing scandals and both are very important scandals because they reveal a lot about Mm -hmm. politics and what's going on. But I think it recently came out. Now he's apologized for any bad jokes he might've made and that he's just an old school politician But one of the accusers came out and said that he wanted to mount her like a dog. Like he said that to her. Hmm. So Hmm. I don't know what kind of old school political joke that is. And I'm sure like in the world of boomers, I'm I'm sure that's acceptable with certain white men. But come on. This is I mean, this is the thing with all these white men. They're always like, oh, well, I was making a joke. First of all, if you're making a joke, it has to be funny. (laughs) <laughs> like, you can't just call anything a joke, especially if it's not an open mic, you know? Well, yeah, it's like if you're talking to someone and you say something and no one laughs and someone's like upset by it, you can't just all of a sudden call it a joke. Well, and that would be <laughs> the appropriate time to apologize, not after someone has to go through their lawyers and the newspapers. Exactly. Well, I saw that he released a statement. This was, I think, probably last week. Who knows? I don't know. I don't have a sense of time. He released a statement that was like, I'm never going to resign. Screw you guys. And another and a news outlet had like accidentally released one of their drafts of like Cuomo resigns at date, you know, whatever. I love it when that happens. I love it when that happens, too. Again, why is everyone fighting so hard to keep a job? If I had an excuse to resign from my job and I'm already rich, I'll resign. Book me a press conference. Ah. That's the thing. He's already rich, too. So it's like this is clearly a game of ego. And didn't you have a, I don't know, stressful year? Go to a beach somewhere. They're telling you to resign. You don't have to deal with COVID anymore as a leader. Yeah, just go take a nap. And honestly, he knows the things that he's done that these accusers are saying. He knows that that they're correct, obviously. Like he knows that they're correct, or at least, you know, men like this, they hear that and they're like, that could be something I did, but I didn't think anything of it at the time, which is not an excuse. But that's what they do is they're like, oh, I didn't know that was bad. Okay, yeah, because they're in positions of privilege where no one's telling them bad boy. Exactly. But like if I murder someone and the police come up to me, I can say, well, I didn't know murder was illegal. Guess what? That doesn't save me from prison. Like, well, just because it, you didn't know it was bad doesn't mean it wasn't bad. And with That's these guys, you. if they just said, you know what? Maybe I did do that. I don't know. Uh, but I am sorry. 
and I'm stepping away and I'm going to go to rehab. Yeah. Talk to someone and you just start becoming apologetic and maybe you do some payouts. You're probably really then going to make your career longer. If that's your end game, if that's why you're refusing to resign because you think your career is just going to be over, then it's definitely going to be over because yeah, now you just look like a stubborn asshole. But if you like apologize and you start doing all this nice stuff and say you're like hashtag self-care, I'm going to Malibu to talk to a sex therapist, then people are like, oh my God, that's all anyone's asking for is to like see these people repent. Yeah, make an effort. And and then that's the thing. If he would just apologize, and I mean, he can make a statement that's basically like, I didn't know the things were bad at the time. I realize now that I was in the wrong and I have a lot of learning to do. I'm stepping away. He steps away for six months. He can book a co-host slot on any morning show he wants, which is probably pays better than governor, to be honest. Well, and- He could start his own radio show. Yeah. People love that shit. Exactly. I mean, there's just, if you double down, you're only making it worse. And, you know, not for nothing. He's not the first guy who's been publicly accused of sexual assault. Has he learned nothing from the other ones? You would think these guys would learn from each other. But no, they all do the same thing. They're all like, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to say I didn't do it. It's like, you see that doesn't work. Yeah, it just makes you look like a tool bag. But whatever. I'm not the New York state governor. Maybe I'd have a different opinion if I was the governor of a state. And if your dad was governor, if your brother had a... Your brother's like a pundit. Yeah. Or he has his own... Doesn't he have his own hour? I think so. I don't know. I, I can't keep track of the Cuomos. I can't. They're too gross. All I'm saying is I never called myself a Cuomosexual. Oh, thank God. Not a lot of people on Twitter can say that, but I never did. Oh, boy. There's a lot of people scrubbing their their Twitter right now. Yeah, they're like, I better get this off. (laughs) Oopsie poops. So we've done a lot of politics on this first episode. I think that might be kind of a theme because we both, I've seen your Instagram, Grace. I think we're both very progressively minded. And, you know, it's kind of nuts that people don't, gossip more about politics nothing i don't like more than someone who's like oh you're talking about politics that's like so boring or it's too heavy Mm -hmm. and it's like well these are like the people who are kind of uh making decisions of your fucking life Mm -hmm. nothing could be more embedded in gossip than the people who are pulling the strings yeah It's a job that specifically in the public eye is politics. So I should be able to gossip about you. And so I think that's why I guess I'm kind of introducing this next segment, which we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. But I have a feeling it's going to have what we call legs in the business. Mm -hmm. It has legs. It's time for some Biden bites. Biden bites. Yeah. You know, I think there was a sense among people that once Trump was out of office, we could all go back to ignoring the president. We can't do that anymore. We're, we are forever changed. So I will not be igno- ignoring Joe Biden. And you know what? I bet he wishes I would. Oh, he definitely wishes you would. Yeah, I've got some stuff to say to you, Joe Biden. But first of all, Bridget, you take a bite out of the green screen controversy. All right, here we go. 
the QAnons think that old Bidey was filmed in front of a green screen last Tuesday because his hand hovered on the other side of a boom mic, which begs the question if people understand microphones. I mean, I think some people do. (laughs) I think other people don't. I do think, and I mean, in a way, I do feel for the QAnon people because they just are trying so hard to find something. It's like, you know, when whatever, there was supposed to be a real inauguration, like on inauguration day, it was supposed to be like, actually all the Democrats were going to get arrested and like live, they were all realizing that wasn't going to happen. And then there was on like March 6th, there was supposed to be another inauguration and then it didn't happen. Like I do in a way feel for them because nothing's going their way right now, but I don't want it to go their way. So I guess I don't feel for them. Um, So I can't blame them for trying to find a green screen. I feel for them in the sense of, yes, there's corruption in politics. Oh, yes. But the angle that they're trying to go at it is very, very wrong. It's like, I agree. There is something wrong with the Clintons and there is something wrong with Joe Biden. But trying to say he's not really president because the other theory is that Biden isn't even the real president. Oh, yeah. But he's playing one on TV to fool the American public and that Trump is actually the real president somewhere. Mm -hmm. And Trump is at the real White House and Biden's at Hollywood pretending. There's also that theory. Which I just think, you know, there's enough bullshit going on in the government it doesn't need to be that deep. They're daily privatizing health insurance so that insulin is super expensive. Like we don't need to, they don't have time to create a fake president because they're busy, like making our lives hard. They're too yeah, busy. filibustering. The like they've got too much follow the on. money. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I understand there's a lot. You don't like the government. Guess what? I don't either. But it's not that deep. They're not creating fake presidents on sets. They're obviously not that bright. Do you know how much more work that is than the work that they're already doing to rip you off? Yeah, they're spending all of their time trying to convince you that $1,400 is $2,000. They don't have time to build a set and have like Saturday Night Live style productions in Hollywood every day. Come on, people. It's unionized out here. Grace, you got to give me a bite and bite here about him tripping three times. Oh, my God. Air Force One. Well, you have to watch this video, first of all. But he was climbing up the stairs on Air Force One and he was kind of running up them because, you know, Biden's trying to prove he's very healthy, which like it's okay if you're not that healthy, Biden. Just like, can you pass health care? We know you're in your 70s. Like, it's okay. I don't expect out. anything of you. So he's running up the stairs of Air Force One. You know, cameras are everywhere. And he stumbles a little bit, but he gets back up. And then he stumbles a little bit more. And then he gets back up. And then he falls all the way down to the to the stairs. Like, he fell three times. Oh, my God. I'm like, buddy, you don't have to run up the stairs. You don't have You're to. You're on camera. That. Take the stairs as slow as you need. Oh, it was you so funny. You won the election. Yeah. You're not running for president anymore. You can walk for president now. There's so much you can do with that diplomatic immunity. Yeah, you don't need to be running up the stairs to Air Force One and tripping. And I'm like, come on, Biden. You know, you know, the conversation around you 
is that you are old and frail. So stop tripping. It's not that hard. Take it easy. Yeah, it's okay. Be more focused on not tripping than trying to run. Exactly. Just take your time up the stairs. I take my time up the stairs. It's not about being 70 either. If I ran up every set of stairs I was on, I would also be tripping. So it's all love from me, Joe Biden. But you got to walk up the stairs sometimes. You got to walk up the stairs. It's okay. All the time. It doesn't mean you're any less in shape. That's what I tell myself as I'm heaving up the stairs. I mean, yeah, it's already a difficult course. You're going up the stairs. Yeah, it's okay. Do your thing. Bridget, let's take a bite. Give me a Biden bite about how Biden fired staffers for past marijuana use. Dozens of staffers. The Daily Beast is calling it reefer sadness. That's a great headline. What's also wild, though, is that I believe Hunter Biden is still the president's son. Like he wasn't fired from being the son. And I think we're all aware of Hunter Biden's past drug use. Well, yeah, it's like that was a big thing for Biden was like not villainizing drug users. When you work in a presidential administration. Yeah. Obviously, they're going to do a background check. Mm -hmm. And past administrations have had high ranking staffers who have used marijuana, Mm -hmm. whether if it was recreational or whatever. Yeah. So this isn't it isn't odd to really have staffers in these positions. And some of the staffers were actually told that they would not be reprimanded if they admitted to using marijuana in the past. So not only did they fire them for it, they tricked them into admitting it by telling them yeah, they wouldn't be it, fired. It, it definitely appears that way. And the White House does not have any clear policy on marijuana use. Like the FBI says you can't use in the last three years. The NSA says you can't use in the last year. Uh, marijuana is technically illegal federally, mm-hmm. but it's legal in Washington, D.C. Hmm. And it it seems to be only targeting younger staff members. Well, naturally. So it seems more, and this is just my take, my mm-hmm. intake of the information that's been given, of course. So take what you will. This is the goss of Bridget's wisdom here. But it feels like they're just finding a way to clean house of their younger staffers. Oh, that absolutely. That's what I was thinking. And they knew that the easiest way to do that without basically saying we're getting rid of the young ones, because and I, to me, what that communicates, young is often in Biden's type of circles synonymous with progressive. So he doesn't want to keep his progressive staffers because he knew he needed the progressive staffers to get elected. But he knows he's not implementing progressive policies. Yeah, I think that's I I'm on the same page, sister. He probably told them he was going to legalize marijuana federally. Oh, I I don't even think he had to tell them that. I think it was just like, oh, I'm cool. I hang out with young people. We got them on my staff. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, we're settled in. We moved into the White House. The dog bit someone. Okay, now now's the time. Now let's get rid of them. Yeah, we can go back to the way things should be. Well, and- I don't know. Make the White House great again. Yeah. To me, I think, and I mean, whatever, I'm progressive. So take what I say with a grain of salt. But I don't see the difference between like smoking weed and drinking alcohol outside of work. Like if I'm a staffer and I show up to work drunk, fire me. Sure. Even though alcohol is legal, I shouldn't be showing up to work like that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of take the same stance with marijuana. Like, I shouldn't be showing up to work high 
but what, why can't I do it on my free time? Yeah. Especially my free time in the past. Well, in the, the whole stigma, I mean, not that we're going to go down a whole history mm-hmm. lesson here, but the war on drugs started with Reagan. Yes. And that was really more to protect pharmaceutical. That's, that's pharmaceutical lobby, mm-hmm. lobbying. If we make weed illegal because there is no patent on weed, then no one can be prescribed weed or using weed. They'll be buying our, our pharmaceutical, our lab drugs. Exactly. So like, it's all a money game. The whole stigma ties back to money more than it does to like what actually happens when people are intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Because if people, if they gave two shits about human health, they would then be investing more money in understanding what drugs actually do to our body and mm-hmm. our brains. Instead of being like, well, no one knows what the side effects are if a, mar- if a pregnant woman is smoking marijuana. Like, I feel like that's something in 2021 we should know what the side effects are. Yeah. Because this drug has been around forever. It's been around. It's been being used. So it's and it's not being studied because. Yeah. Because it's so illegal. It's so radical, man. Politicians just want us to die. That's what it comes down to. (laughs) Yeah, they make more money from us dying than being alive. Yeah, there's nothing a politician hates more than a constituent who is alive. (laughs) They're like, can you just die? Is that our second t-shirt idea? Yeah. (laughs) My... We're going to make a t-shirt that says politicians hate me because I'm alive, you know, <laughs> and then the Gossier on the and back. the Gossier on the back. You got to get their own self-branding in there. But every saying goes on the front. It's a big yeah. merch drop for the first drop. <laughs> I think we're going to sell out, though. Uh, we're ambitious. Exactly. So those are our Biden bites. Biden bites. Well, Biden bites. Every week we're hoping to do a main topic, whether if that's something that is crowdsourced, someone sends in for us to talk about, or if it's something that we pick to talk about. This week being our first week of doing this, and since we're still introducing ourselves to you, the listener, we decided to start with how Grace and I met, which we met through comedy we literally met at a comedy school where i think i was your boss yeah you were my boss yeah i hate saying that i know though every time someone's like oh and this is my boss bridget i'm like i didn't pay you i know (laughs) well it's great because you're like a cool boss oh thank you (laughs) but yeah we met doing improv comedy which if you're listening to this and you don't know what improv comedy is it's where everything is made up on the spot. There's no script. So as you can tell, it's very serious and artistic, and we will not allow anyone to make fun of it at any time. You cannot at all defame our Do precious. not belittle improv comedy. Because, you know, it's, it's an art form. <laughs> Obviously, we're joking. We're going to belittle improv comedy, but it's all love because yes. we love it. We definitely love it. Have you done any improv in quarantine? No. Oh, my God. I think about every once in a while. Pre-quarantine, I was doing improv shows two or three times a month. I was rehearsing every week. You know, I was doing sketch shows and sketch rehearsals. You know, I was spending a lot of time on it. So I was at a place where, like, I wasn't afraid of going to do an improv show because I'm like, well, I know something's going to come up. I'll figure it out when I get there. When you do improv all the time, you're not worried. You're not going to think of anything because you're like, well, I've never not thought of anything before, so I'm not going to start now. But now... The the first time I go back to improv, I don't know what I'm going to say. It's going to be a tough couple of weeks, let me tell you. 
when improv theaters reopen. I'm almost thinking, well, I like stage time too much, but Mm -hmm. I'm leaning towards maybe no more. Oh, let me tell you, when quarantine started, you know, when we all thought it was going to be two weeks, my improv team is like, oh, let's do some improv on Zoom. And I was kind of like, no way in hell will I do that. But I was like, I'll try anything once. And I tried it once. And you know what? No way in hell am I doing that ever again. It is the worst. The thing about improv that is fun is that you're coming up with something off the top of your head and the audience laughs at it. So when you're doing it on Zoom, you can't hear anyone laugh. So you just have to hear what you're saying and really like reckon with it and be like, why am I doing this? What's the point? There's the... I do think that is one of the most important things about comedy is the relationship with the audience. Mm -hmm. Even like comedic TV shows, they are creating comedy around an audience that they expect would be watching this show. Mm -hmm. And when you are just riffing and doing comedy with no idea who your audience is, or you're just listening to other improvisers and there's nothing to feed off to sort of guide you or let you know what your audience wants. Even when you're just doing improv with other improvisers and there's no one around to listen, that's like, are you really doing improv? Well, and it's just the humanness of it all. You know, anyone who's on Zoom, you know that you like interpret nonverbal cues differently on Zoom than you do in person. Oh, yeah. Like, you know how when you're on a You know how you're in a big meeting in person, you can like look across the room at your one friend and like make a face. That's impossible to do on Zoom. And that kind of thing is really important for improv of like being able to be off stage and like look at someone from across the stage and like make, you know, a hand gesture. And then you both know that you're both going on, not to mention Wi-Fi connectivity can like lag just There's nothing I hate more than Zoom improv. And I know that I will go back to real life improv and I will be bad at it for a while. How many how many improv schools have you been to? Well, I've of the big schools in the world. So we're talking, uh, let's name them Groundlings, Second City, UCB or Upright Citizens Brigade. Mm -hmm. You're not around a UCB. And then you have the Chicago ones, IO and Annoyance. Mm-hmm. Those are the big ones. I'm sure there's some yeah. in Boston, but I'm going to tell you right now, Boston, you don't you don't really count. When I'm just not familiar with Boston, I went to school in Decatur, so I knew Chicago, Decatur, Illinois, and I live in L.A. So I'm only familiar with the Chicago and L.A. I've only been to I've only studied at one school, but I've seen shows at most of them. Oh, you've only been to the one. Well, I was going to go to a new one, but then quarantine happened and I'm like, you know what? That's probably for the best. I don't need to give I don't need to give anyone my money. Yeah, honestly, the last time I attended improv class, my original intentions or how we even ended up meeting, I was at a point in my life where I was like, I'm done with classes. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm taking any classes, it's to more business related, like how to create some sort of piece of work that people can look at. I'm not going to go to a class, listen to, you know, eight to 10 weirdos talk about weird stuff and I'm supposed to say yes and even though Mm -hmm. it might be sexist or racist or alienating which there's always a couple of those in those classes and then the reason I ended up taking classes again was because someone said you know if you take classes here you have more opportunities to perform here and I was like oh and we both were in a program because I was in the program before you Mm -hmm. where we traded time for classes. So yeah. we did like a work study. So it wasn't 
it was like, this isn't costing me money. Mm-hmm. Meaning I'm spending more time in an environment where I'm going to meet more performers and comedians. Exactly. It's going to make me more integrated in this new community. Mm-hmm. That's the plus of a work study is you make friends outside of just your class. Because I mean, I could go on and on about this. And this goes for any comedy school is that comedy is like, as actually any entertainment or acting or any art, it requires a certain investment to get started. And that's why it becomes closed off to some groups and some groups lead it because it requires an investment of time and or money that some people just can't afford to give. But I don't pay any money, so. Yeah, it's either you have to find a loophole, Mm -hmm. like a work-study program, or your parents are helping you pay rent. Exactly. That's the diversity in comedy is like this person found a bunch of freeways in and this person has someone else helping them pay their rent and their credit card bills. Exactly. Everyone who is in comedy is trying to get something out of it, maximize something out of it. And I think that it can be a little exhausting, which I mean, to be fair, this is this is the problem with comedy to me. Well, I guess- You take dance classes, you learn pretty quick whether or not you're a good dancer. There's some subjectivity to it, but it's pretty objective. Like you can do a pirouette or you can't. Comedy is so subjective that, you know, people, anyone can join and anyone can keep at it, even if they're not exactly your sense of humor or anyone's. Yeah. Combination of I have time, which Mm -hmm. means someone is someone or myself is taking care of my money. So I have this time aside to devote to this and socially wedging your way into like a group of people who you may think are completely off their tree. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, I'm friends with these people now because I want to make this work, which is crazy because it's quarantine. I'm curious, is quarantine limited who your comedic friends are now? Like, are there definitely people that you're like, oh, we definitely. (laughs) Now it's very clear to me we were definitely not friends. Well, I think what's interesting to me about quarantine in that way is that it makes you think about the people who you were friends with because of comedy and the, the people who that's all you shared, which that was something I that was something that I was already kind of it was on my mind because I had just finished a program. And I had a group of people that I was with, not the whole time, but for the a few of the last, you know, advanced classes. So I had this- So about a year, right? I guess. Yeah, actually, about a year. So I was with that same group. And so everyone was kind of friends with everyone because we were all seeing each other weekly. And it had finished in December of 2019. So like right before quarantine. And so already it was, you were kind of seeing people be like, okay, now I'm spending time with the people who I've actually become friends with over the course of this. Like there's not, like there's no longer this need for all of us to be in one group. It like splinters off into different factions and not that the factions are like, this faction doesn't speak to that faction, but it's like at the end of the day, you ultimately have people who you gravitate more to as people and as comedians. I mean, you see it in improv shows all the time is in any group of improvisers, like, I have people on my improv team who I do scenes with more than other people on my improv team. Oh, yeah. That like, you know, if someone walks out by themselves, 
I'll either hop in because I see who that is, or I'll be like, I'll hang back for a second, see if anyone else hops in. Or like, you know, I'm out on stage and someone comes in. Sometimes I'm like, oh, good, this person's here. And sometimes I'm like, okay, here we go. Yeah, that's interesting too, because I don't think that that's always objective. Mm -hmm. Like there's some people who I really enjoyed playing with that that uh, other performers would be like, oh, I hate doing a scene with that person. Mm -hmm. And in their minds, they thought that person is bad. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, the the weird choices they're making, that's fun for me. Because like, they're willing to like get weird. And I'm the one sailing the ship. I'm the captain of the ship, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I like playing with those people because we're going to have fun. It's going to get weird and I can kind of contain it. Whereas it's like maybe two similar people, like you got two Yeah, Well, if you have two weird people, no one's going to justify anything. Yeah. I do think, you know, what I like in an improvisation partner is someone who confidently says something, even if it is just stupid, it doesn't matter to me. Because what I what I hate more than anything is being in a scene where someone's like hesitant because you can make anything into a funny scene, but you can't be afraid of it because as soon as the like immediate reaction moment passes you by, the audience knows you didn't hop on it. Even if the audience doesn't actively like see, oh, that choice just passed them by, the audience feels like something lagged. Yeah, I think the audience is looking more for people to be friends on stage like and not necessarily like the characters but they you can tell as an audience member that these people are working together Mm -hmm. and that makes it enjoyable or these people are not working together and then that makes you feel like what's like something else is going on and then it becomes like a very inauthentic experience yeah because also i mean when you come to see an improv show you aren't necessarily Like you're going to forgive plot holes. You're going to forgive character development. That's weird. You're going to forgive a lot of things in the audience because you come to see a show that's made up on the spot. So you would rather see people like making mistakes in the moment and living with them than trying to pretend they didn't make any mistakes. Yeah. Like you want to see them having fun. Whatever's weird stuff is going on. If it looks like they're having fun doing it, then the audience is like, this is a fun experience. But as soon as like, it looks like people on stage are not having fun or there's some sort of discomfort, then the audience feels that. And then that's when they stop laughing. Yeah. Even if they can't name it, they feel that there's like somehow there's been a disconnect. It's not fun anymore. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like you now someone who's seen a lot of schools and different shows, do you feel like there's a specific type for different schools. Well, I feel like it's kind of about how I have felt from the shows I've seen is that certain schools encourage different attitudes in people of like, I think that every school thinks there's a hierarchy and that their school is the best in the hierarchy. But this could be said of a million things in life is that everyone wants to believe they're in the best group. Yeah, it's like Iowa State versus uh, University of Iowa. And then at the end of the day, it's like, you guys know you are all in Iowa. Well, yeah, it's all about <laughs> everyone wants a common enemy and everyone wants to be the best. And the whole reason people join comedy schools, I mean, there's a 
a bunch of reasons. But a big reason is to have like a community of people to work with. So once you're in a community and there's other communities that are doing the same thing as you, everyone wants to be the best one and they believe it with their whole heart. If you're joining comedy, it's because at one point someone told you you were funny and you liked being told you were funny. You want to go to comedy school to like nurture that comedic instinct into something. And then you want to be the best one of that. So everyone's always trying to prove they're the funniest person in the room, which is a fool's errand because comedy is so subjective. You could be the funniest person to one person and one person could literally hate everything you do. Oh, and then once everybody finds out about your sex crimes, you're definitely not funny anymore. (laughs) Exactly. But it's like everyone wants to be like the funniest person. And it's like also with improv, you can't guarantee everything you say is going to be funny. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a communal sport. Yeah. So you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. You got to like create your your role within the group. And then it's almost like you're sort of getting consent from the group that whatever your role is, they're all okay with it. Mm -hmm. And that's your bit. That's your standout thing so like there was a guy on one of my teams who was if you asked anyone he was like the funniest guy but then if you really looked at the way he played on stage he went out maybe like two or three times a show and usually was the guy who could just like put a button on something or like have the right line at the right Mm -hmm. time and it's like damn that guy in some ways is not even close to the funniest because he's not even like he's barely doing putting anything. it out there. Yeah. He's not making any risks. But he found that if I come out and can do a summary or do the one liner, then that carries so much more weight than some of the people who are just like busting out there. Like, I'm going to do this crazy zany thing that makes me uncomfortable, but I feel like I'm taking risks, which is one of the worst people I think you could play with. Mm -hmm. This is true of a lot of things in life, but you have to know when you're adding something and when you're not, because especially in improv, you can be in the wings and there's a really funny scene going on on stage and you can be like, oh, I got to get in on that scene and you entering will immediately ruin it. The problem is, is that people who do comedy have to have a certain ego about them. Because you're don't you're committing your time and money to something. You have to think you're at least good at it. And, you know, it's easy for me now to be like, whatever, it's improv. I do it all the time. But thinking back to like when I first started doing improv in like high school, it was like pulling teeth to get me to step into a scene. So I can't imagine that. Yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing, because I did it so long that now it's like I'll go out all the time. I don't care. But there's you have to have this like balance of like confidence and like if I walk out, it's going to be OK. But also I don't have to walk out to be a part of this show. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about having self-awareness in comedy. Yes. Which is why I think perverts do so well, because <laughs> perverts know they're a pervert and yeah. they know they have to hide their pervert. So that's like, a great that's point. why your Bill Cosby's your Louis C.K.'s they're going to climb to the top because they they are putting on a performance. Yeah, they know. They know I have. To they are method actors. I love being creepy. They're acting like men who aren't attracted to teenage girls. It's the performance of a lifetime. Yeah, I'm sure there's way more we could say about this topic, 
but we have been recording now for a while. A while. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end our first episode. Yeah. Lots of gossip unpacked. I'm sure we'll continue to unpack more as the episodes go on and on. If you'd like to know more about our takes on the different improv schools, I mean, we could call them out. I think for this, we kind of agreed to not focus so much on that Mm -hmm. because there's a lot we could say that would definitely go longer than probably the 20 to 30 minutes we spent on it. Mm -hmm. But feel free to email us at uh, thegossierpod at gmail.com. Or go ahead and DM us on Instagram and Twitter at The Gossier. And Grace, where can people find find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at The Grace Piper. And if you like The Vampire Diaries, I host another podcast, co-host a podcast called Doppelgangers about The Vampire Diaries. What's your TikTok handle? Grapes pipes. I've only posted one video on TikTok and I don't know if I'll continue posting them, but I do love watching them. So also, hey, if you want to email me ideas for TikToks, do it. I'll do them. I'll film them. I'm just learning. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Give me I love a, it. For a TikTok. I'll post it. You tell me if I nailed it or if I did a bad job. I'll take it. Any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, Grace misses being criticized. <laughs> For her performances. I miss the attention of performing. I miss the attention of being adored and made fun of. If someone is paying me attention, I don't hear the negativity. That's a skill of mine. You know what I miss more than that, though? What? The the notes, the after show notes. I hate this is a hill I'm going (laughs) to die on. I hate getting notes after an improv show. What am I going to do? I'm never doing that scene again. Yeah, it's maybe. Never, it, and you could wait a week. You could tell me a week from now if that note is an evergreen note yeah. that really applies to anything. Like, tell me a week from now. I'm sure your note is correct. I'm sure the scene would have been better if my character had been a milkmaid instead of a PhD student, whatever. But guess what? The scene's over. I'm never going to do it again. But, Bridget, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bridget underscore suck it. And I host another podcast called Sex with Ghosts. If you like conspiracies and weird stuff, you can check that out. If you liked this podcast, go ahead and rate and review us. Tell your friends. And if you have gossip you want to hear us talk about, email us and we'll talk about it. We'll talk. We don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Ah.